0: Welcome, sexy listeners, to the Trouble with Sex. I'm Dr. Tammy Nelson. Today's guest is actually one of my favorite people. David Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. And for someone who's a grief expert, he's the most charming and cheerful person. He's always smiling and he's really super kind. And he's also really popular right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and his experience with Thousands of people on the edge of life and death has taught him the secrets to living a happy and fulfilled life, even after life's biggest tragedies. And he seems like he really walks the walk, not just talks the talk. He's the author of six books, including his newest best selling book, Finding Meaning The Sixth Stage of Grief. His personal experience he witnessed a mass shooting while his mother was dying in the hospital. And that helped him begin this whole journey where he's sort of called to this work. You know, for most of David's life, he's taught physicians and nurses and therapists and counselors and police and first responders about trauma and end of life and grief. And he facilitates talks and workshops and retreats for people experiencing grief. And despite his vast knowledge on grief and being an expert, like the go-to expert on grief, his life was recently turned upside down by the sudden death of his son, and that's what inspired him to write this new book, Finding Meaning. I can't tell you how lucky I feel to know David. Today's episode is brought to you by Uber Lube. As a sex therapist, I get asked about lubricants a lot, and I'm going to tell you about one of my favorites, Uber Lube. Uber Lube is really simple. It's silky, it's smooth, it's never sticky, and a little goes a long, long way. This lube is the best. It reduces friction, but you still get sensation. And what it doesn't have is even better. No harmful parabens, no glycerin, and best of all, no scent, no taste. It lets you feel like there's absolutely nothing between you and your ultimate pleasure. Go to uberlube.com and use the promo code Dr. Tammy that's D-R-T-A-M-M-Y, for 10% off plus free shipping anywhere in the U.S. That's Uberlube, dot com. David, I think that you and I met at a conference and I have always felt really drawn to you. You are someone who I feel like is on this planet to do incredibly important work and help a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm just thrilled to have you.
1: I'm thrilled to be here and it's always great to see you. I, you know, there's something where we're on a show talking about, you know, a show that has to do with sex. It's, It's interesting how attraction works. That, and not even sexual attraction, But the idea that you were at a conference and I'm at a conference with, I don't know, how many thousands of people go to this conference? And like two people are like, yes, let's talk, let's connect. And we just had an energy with each other. And it's no more than that. But it's fascinating how we connect with some and we don't connect with others.
0: And I appreciate you saying that. And I'm always delighted to see you. Like, you're one of those people, I see you, I, we do some work together, and I just feel good being around you. Like, you have, you're one of those people that just lifts energy. You know, some people are energy vampires, and you walk away, and you're, like, depleted, and you're like, oh, my God. I, Which you would <laughs> almost expect in grief. You would. You would almost expect that in grief. That's very true. And you are not that person. You really do I, lift people. It, And it's funny, you know, I just think of you and I as
1: Tammy and David. Like, I have to remember, and I'm grief and you're sex. I mean, oh,
0: okay. (laughs) Because I just think of Tammy and David. Well, you uh, make grief very sexy.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, I don't know how to do that, but all right. I try to make it, you know, it's, it's such a hard, dense subject. And it's such a painful subject that if I was a heavy, painful person. I mean, obviously in this work, I can get and I can go into the pain. But if I was to be with me would be painful, who would do their work? You know?
0: Well, well, I mean you the fact that you can sit with people in their pain means you're not Susie Sunshine. Like you don't try to get people out of their pain. Yeah, I know, right. And that's impressive. And you know with all due respect, like the fact that you can even continue this work after the loss of your son. I, I have a son the same age. I just don't know if I could do it. I, I'm i astounded well, by you, you. don't.
1: you don't think you would be able to do it. I mean, I certainly would have told you before, if one of my sons died, I would like pack up camp and be done. I would not have thought I could continue. And that's something else that, you know, and I've said this to you before, back again at that same conference where you and I always present... I come back there, I don't know, a year or two after my son died, and there's such an awkwardness about, do people mention it? Do people not mention it? And I I see you, and you're. Uh, we're going to go there, and we're going to talk about it. And, uh, you know, it was like, I love that you did that with me. So, because we should always, obviously, you know, anyone who's in grief will tell you, we actually do want our loved ones talked about it. You know, you're not upsetting us by bringing it up.
0: Yeah. So that's the first piece of advice by, by expert David Kessler, that it's okay to ask when people lose someone, how are you doing? I'm sorry about your son. Like how, how are things going for you? Cause people want to know. Right. And the interesting thing is, is, you know,
1: once in a while I'll tell people this about, you know, ask, talk about the person who died. Sometimes they'll come back and they'll go, David, I said that to my neighbor and she started crying. I upset her. And I'm like, you did not make a mistake. She's already crying. You just became a safe person for her to cry with. But I haven't forgotten my son. People don't forget their husbands, wives, partners, parents. So
0: absolutely mention them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. So, you know, you say that, you know, you got into this work, you know, when your mom died. You sort of had this little bit of an awakening, like this is who you were meant to be in a way and help people. But it's a difficult path to choose. You could have chosen a lot of other career paths. I tried. (laughs) I tried. I tried. It was strange.
1: I. It was just always there. I wanted healing for myself. I knew I was wounded by life, dealing with a shooting and a mother dying and not being able to be there. So I, I knew that I wanted healing. I knew that I felt broken. I knew that I, I don't know if I had an awareness that I was a victim of life, but something like that I felt. I felt like life had treated me badly. Like I had gotten a raw deal and I still had this long life to live in front of me. So, but there was not a moment of choosing it. It was little things at first. Like I can remember community college, someone going, do you want easy classes? And I'm like, yes, I'm in. (laughs) And they're like, all right, the two easy classes, sex class and death and dying. And I'm like, oh, of course I want the sex class and I'll go to the death and dying. The weird thing is inside, I was really like, I want the death and dying class and I'll go to the sex class. But interestingly enough, the teacher taught both. Oh, same teacher. Same teacher taught both of them, and I'll never forget her. And she was so cute. She she told the story of how she was once at the grocery store. I just and this is how I sort of bring humor to my own life as I think about these things. She talked about being in the grocery store and she couldn't find her checkbook back in the day when we all used checkbooks. And she started unloading her condoms. And like she's unloading, <laughs> like, you know, and this is in the 70s. That's funny. Like, you know, 20 condoms on the grocery, you know, checkout lane. And she was like, no, no, you don't understand. It's my work. <laughs> so it was very funny.
0: That doesn't so make it any better like, that it's her work.
1: <laughs> right. So then, you know, I was in a, you know, a death and dying class and I heard about Kubla Ross. Then it's interesting, I became an actor. I was in Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, I joked with someone earlier because they just re-ran one of my episodes. I was on the TV show Three's Company. No way. And Yes. You were I'm not. Gonna, like, I'm going to post a photo of it. But the irony is when I was on Three's Company, I had like two different segments. I thought it was the beginning of my career, but it was actually the peak. <laughs> so um, it didn't work out for me. And, you know, I had had, I always was drawn to like, oh, I'm going to be a paramedic. I'm going to be an orderly. I'm going to do something on the side as an actor. And who goes and gets a job in a hospice on the side? But somehow I did. That was my little unconscious mind dealing with it. And finally, it sort of became my work. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Well, I heard you got some big news about your your book recently I did I did now you have to understand this closely
1: the process is Simon and Schuster my publisher has nominated the audiobook for a Grammy so I'm nominated to be a nomination so when they say it's such an honor just to be nominated I'm like it's such an honor just to be nominated to possibly be nominated
0: congratulations so.
1: Thanks, thanks. You I, see, you know.
0: This could be the beginning of something else.
1: I know. Grammy's next the Oscars. It's it's <laughs> on its way. I'm, I'm back to the acting. Here I come. Derek,
0: there it is. It's the beginning. Well, David, you have had a lot of press lately. You've been on TV, you've been all over the place.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. I after the pandemic hit and I was home, I thought, I don't know what I'm gonna do with myself. Here I am, everything's canceled. And shockingly. The subject that no one ever wants to talk about in the press, grief, was all of a sudden what everyone wanted to talk about. And I had never done anything. Like, I mean, I had a month where I did the Today Show and GMA, which you don't even usually do those things together in the same month, and BBC and Fox, and it was, it was shocking. I'm so glad when people are talking about grief And crazy what we've all been dealing with. And it seemed to help people to label it as grief, that grief isn't just death. I mean, we're all grieving the world that was here, what, seven, eight months ago? That, by the way, we're never going to see it again. It's going to be different. But that's grief. I miss things, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a totally new reality. Totally new reality.
1: And isn't that what grief is? Grief is change that we didn't want. Exactly. Exactly exactly. And this is a change
0: none of us wanted. <laughs> and so many smaller changes within this big change. Right, right.
1: Everything from mask wearing to cancellations of a wedding and graduation and job loss and just so much is happening at once. Oh my gosh,
0: it's amazing. It's really big. Closing down my office. I mean, just going online. Wow. Like, I've had my you know, private practice for you know, I've been a therapist for over thirty years. And to close down an office and pack it up, it's it's there's a lot of grief like, there. Like forever. Well, for who knows like, how long. Like
1: you're not going to be going back to that particular office ever again. Never. So it is an ending, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Well, that is something. It is something, yeah. you know.
0: And that's just a small, a small piece of the grief that people are experiencing, you know, people losing people to COVID and I just went to a funeral my father-in-law died and the funeral was small and short and everyone wore masks. And it's really hard to show grief with just your eyes. I mean, you learn to do it, but
1: right. Right. Interesting. Exactly. Exactly. And then we have, we have zoom funerals these days. Yeah. And the one piece of advice, just for anyone listening, I have to tell about a zoom funeral, the key to a zoom funeral, you treat it like any funeral. What goes wrong on a zoom funeral? Like literally, you may have felt it. I felt it. There's something about looking out at people who are sort of witnessing your grief at a funeral. And if you look out on your Zoom screen and someone's stapling papers at their <gasps> office and someone else is in their tank top and their lazy boy, it just feels disrespectful. So I tell people, show up for a Zoom funeral like you would any other funeral. The It's not a
0: multitask situation. That's such good advice. That is such good advice. And no one tells you to do that. No one tells you anything. There's no protocol for this. There's no precedent for Zoom funerals. God, David, that's really good advice. So and all of your press and your travels, has anyone talked about grief and sex? And I set up a COVID group
1: that has thousands of people in it, a free group for anyone who's lost a loved one to death recent, long time ago. It's a free group. And... You came on and you were a guest and I thought we had a great discussion. And sex comes up a lot in grief.
0: Yeah, it does. People don't realize that, but it comes up a lot. Yeah, it's something people really miss. It's something that you don't, you don't really have anyone to talk about. Right.
1: And I always tell clinicians, counselors, therapists, if you're running a grief group, you don't have to get into it, but I want you to just acknowledge sex as a loss.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want people to just hear it, that we know it's a loss.
0: Yeah, it is a loss. Yeah. So, David, what do you think, I asked all my guests this, but what do you think is the biggest trouble with sex right now?
1: Well, I'm going to relate it to the, to the book. We make up meaning. We're meaning-making machines. It was fascinating. I had some friends over. We were all socially distancing. And most of them who were over were single. And I said how has this impacted your love life? And it was interesting to hear how it was impacting people. Some people brought the meaning to it that I'm using this time to explore relationships and I'm gone online and I'm meeting people on zoom and I, I feel okay about going on an app. I didn't feel better about it before, but everyone's doing it now. There's other people who said, well, well, there's no chance of having relationships now, and there was someone else who said the pressure's off. I don't even have to look like I'm trying.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So I can put on the pandemic pounds and I it's love all fine. That actually, but I think the thing is
1: true about sex. Also, what's the meaning we're going to bring to this? Uh, and, and the other thing we might even think about is, I mean, so many of us lived through the AIDS epidemic, which has a lot in common with this. It was a virus. And we knew viruses don't know state lines. Viruses don't know what political party you're in. And the difference is, if you were practicing safe sex, no one sort of knew it but the person you were with. Mm -hmm. There wasn't an outer mask to show whether you're doing what's right or not. And now we can sort of visually see. Right. And I don't know how people are adjusting to sex. I mean obviously if you're with your one person in your relationship you decide does this mean we're having more sex or less sex or what's this mean? And I think people probably go all the way so I think the trouble with sex is we're bringing some good meaning and some bad meaning probably to it in a pandemic.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true. I you know I like what you said about you can you can tell now like who's being compliant <laughs> And who's not. Right. right. And so you got to wonder, like, how they're treating their sex life, too. You know, if they can't go to the grocery store and wear a mask, they're most likely not wearing a condom. <laughs> and, and I saw this great cartoon where when people wear their masks, like, below their nose. And, and then they, they compared it to someone wearing a condom with their penis hanging out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't heard that. That's funny. Yeah. I
0: haven't heard that one. It was very funny. So you know, it makes total sense too. Like some couples I know, like from my own clinical experience, some are having more sex than ever before because they're home and there's really nothing better to do. And, and it's nice to have each other home and not be frustrated. Like when are you coming home? Why are you traveling so much? And other couples are like, okay, this, I'm so tired of you. Like I can't take it anymore. Like I'm so sick of you and that you don't pick up your anything. And like, I'm done.
1: Well, and all those things probably distract us, right? If I'm worried about the socks, you're probably not turning me on. Oh, totally, totally, <laughs> totally.
0: And, and, you know, usually if, if the socks bother you, you go to work and it, you know, like you, you're distracted. You've got other things to think about. Like, who cares about the socks? But if you're home 24-7, those socks are always there. <laughs> right, you can't right. get away from the socks. And I imagine it's similar with grief. Like, you can't get away from yourself if, you're, like, if there's no place to go. Well, grief is
1: in your head and in your heart. And I mean, my goodness, grief's an isolating experience in a normal world. Yeah. And then to be shut in, I mean, there's a lot of people that I've been working with who are like, it's hideous. It's here. I can't get rid of it. I don't have a break from it. Just like you said, it's like the socks. There isn't going to work because it's still, you're in your house. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're in our work environment, we weren't used to, unless your person worked with you, to seeing them then when you're home and you've had grief, the absence is loud. Absence is loud. So it's very triggering for people.
0: And no matter where you turn, there's you know bad news. So you're grieving everything. You're grieving right. everything all the time. Just perpetual And grief. I've
1: seen a lot of people that all oh, losses are coming up.
0: Mm-hmm. The things
1: that they pushed down for five, ten years all of a sudden have room to breathe and they're not happy about it.
0: I think that's really true. And I know a lot of people that are drinking a lot more <laughs> just <laughs> because they're home and they're, you know, there's nothing better to do. And it's a way of handling their anxiety about what's happening. You know, this chronic or anxiety eating. that we have. Or eating. Or eating. Eating, yeah. Yeah, that's thanks neat. for reminding me of that, David. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Negotiating sex can sometimes be intimidating. However, if you learn to speak openly and honestly with your partner, it can actually heighten your experience of pleasure. If you can find respect between you and your relationship, then you can appreciate the importance of taking care of yourself and your health and your partner. Consent means that it's your right to say no to sex without a condom. This is part of your own personal boundaries and also taking care of your own sexuality. So for more tips and information about sexual health, you can visit uberlube.com resources. And while you're there, you can check out their really nice, smooth, luxurious and condom compatible lube. So check out uberlube.com. That's U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com for sex and so much more. So I know we've talked about sex after loss, but I'm wondering in your book, when you talk about this new stage of grief, which is finding meaning, how you might integrate that into finding meaning around sex after loss and what advice you could give people?
1: Sure. Let's talk about just the idea of the stage concept for a moment. Sure. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote the book on death and dying. She was my teacher, and she identified five stages of dying, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. They, after that, were so misapplied for years to grief, and she wanted to write a book to sort of clear them up, and I was so honored that she asked me to do the book with her, that was our book on grief and grieving. And on page one, literally on page one, we said, they're not a map. They're not linear. You don't have to follow them. They're not five easy steps, all that. You're going to go through them in many different ways. Your grief is unique. No two people agree. I mean, on page one. And still to this day, people criticize them about they're not linear. And I'm like, just read page one and you would <laughs> see. We agree with you, actually. And Then when my younger son David died, brutal then, brutal now, I had known in my work with Elizabeth over the years, acceptance took on a finality that it didn't have. I mean, your grief doesn't have a day that you find acceptance. There's not one big acceptance. And after my son died and time passed and I was beginning to wrestle with acceptance, acceptance was not enough. I wanted more. And I had thought about Victor Frankl, who was in a concentration camp and talked about meaning, and I was so curious about this idea about how do you find the light in the darkness. And when I had mentioned, mentioned Victor Frankel's work to some people in grief, especially bereaved parents, they would say, "But Victor Frankel lived." And so I wanted to sort of take some of his work and my work and Kubler Ross' work. And see how it lined up with grief, meaning and grief. And it kind of, the more I talked about it, it became like well, that's the sixth stage. That's what comes when you're dealing with acceptance. And I was so honored. The Kubler-Ross family and foundation gave me permission to add an iconic stage to her stages. And the the couple of things just to tell you about meaning up front is people get confused The idea of meaning is not a bypass to the pain. My book is on how to go around the pain and find the silver lining. My book actually takes you through the pain. And people also think that the meaning, they're like, there's no meaning in this horrific death or there's no meaning in a pandemic. And I'll go, right, no, there's no meaning in a death by cancer or a child dying or any kind of death, but there's meaning in what we do after. The meaning's in us. The meaning is not in the horrific situation. And meaning doesn't take away the pain, but it becomes a cushion. So that's sort of the, the lowdown on the how meaning works. And people who seem to find meaning seem to do much better in grief over time.
0: Can you say what some examples of what meaning would look like? Sure. I think so many times we think meaning
1: is the person who starts the organization or the big nonprofit or the foundation. There's the woman who started mad, mothers against drunk driving after her own daughter was killed. But truly, meaning is more in the moments. Like, this is a meaningful moment we're having. Just to name it as a meaningful moment. And to think about how do we understand those meaningful moments that are still possible that honor our loved ones who died. It might be a connection to the love we have with them. The meaning can be we understand the brevity of life more and we appreciate it. Maybe the way they died shouldn't have happened that way. So we're doing more to help others, to make sure other people don't die. There's a million ways to find meaning. I tell the story in the book of one woman who went into the post office and was just getting stamps and the postal worker put the book up and she's like, I just want stamps and there's love stamps and flag stamps and flower stamps. And she's like, it doesn't matter. And then she suddenly sees a stamp of Danny Thomas, who was a TV personality that her dad loved when she was growing up. And she had this flash of sitting there remembering weekly nights watching Danny Thomas show with him. She bought the stamps. She didn't frame them or do anything special. She just uses them as stamps and she pays a bill and she gets this sweet hit of her dad. So there's a million little ways we find meaning. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of a spiritual
1: experience. And emotional. And emotional. And a connective one.
0: Is it kind of the, you know, things happen for a reason? Or do you try to steer people away from that?
1: I try to steer people away from it. It's it's challenging to try to play that game. The example I give of that is a lot of times online around September 11th. You'll see there's a couple of popular videos that go around that said, my husband was late and was mad that his car didn't start. And someone else will say, you know, my child didn't make it to their summer job because they were being lazy and we were fighting. Or when they talk about all these things that go wrong in a morning, and then at the end they go, and because our loved ones were late, they didn't make it to the Twin Towers and they were spared. And at first you go, oh my goodness, that's so meaningful. And then you go, wait, wait, does that mean we have a God that punishes on time people? (laughs) Wait,
0: right. so if you're
1: on time, that works against us? Wait, showing up for your job was a bad thing that day? So you begin to see how the the reasoning doesn't work in the long run. If I can, I just want to read you one little thing from this. Please, please. That I want people to know. I have these guidelines for meaning, and one of them is your loss is not a test. It's not a lesson. It's not something to handle. It's not a gift, and it's not a blessing. Loss is what happens in life. Meaning is what you make happen afterwards.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. You no, know, So
1: it's like, look, we live in a world that there's loss. I was working with someone a while back who said our family's cursed. And I said, why? And they're like, well, we've had death in our family. And I said, by the way, the death rate for families is like 100%. <laughs> Every single family member we have is going to die eventually. If you think your family is cursed because they had death, we're all cursed. Don't personalize it. Right, right. It's so personal. The loss is, the person is, but it wasn't done to you.
0: Mm. Yeah, they didn't die at you. Right. They didn't die
1: to you. They didn't die because of you and all that stuff.
0: So I want to ask you a quick question. What about the loss of relationships? There's a lot of breakups now. People getting divorced, grieving, the end of things now. More than ever, it seems to be because of the pandemic and being like we were talking about before, being stuck at home. Uh, and the foundation of relationships that are not doing well sort of coming to the surface, how would you recommend people handle the grief of divorce?
1: Well, I'll tell you, the thing is, as you remember, when this first started, there was a sense of we might be home like two or three weeks, and then (laughs) life would go back.
0: Yeah, I think Trump said
1: 15 days. And I, I literally had a friend who said, talking about his relationship, we were home, we were really opening up. It felt like the right time to tell each other it's not working anymore. <laughs> and he was so proud, and it was a good discussion. And then, bam. Like, fast forward <laughs> like a month later, he's like, What was I thinking that like a pandemic was the moment to put that on the table? <laughs> God. It's like that big, honest night you have. So, here's how I approach it I approach everything as a death, a breakup is the death of a relationship. A divorce is the death of a marriage. A job loss is the death of those people you work with in that place, at that time, in that environment. And I think one of the things we do that works against us is we minimize our loss. Our loss doesn't count because it's not a death. All losses count, all tears count. And so it counts. A lot of times when clinicians work with me, they'll go, well, yeah, but how would I handle it? And I go, you just handle it like it's grief. Whether it's a divorce or a breakup, just handle it the same way. It's
0: grief. The grief doesn't know. It's grief. It's sadness. I have a question from a listener. This is from Mary in Michigan. She asks, I don't understand this perception of moving on. I don't think people understand that you can find love after someone dies and still be grieving. Can you say more about that? It's a great question. First of all, the word moving on
1: tends to bother people in grief because it feels minimizing to the loss you have. So most people in grief tend to prefer moving forward in a way that honors the person who dies or maybe even moving into the next phase of your life, but not a moving on. There's a, we left them behind and we're never going to leave our loved ones behind. And I think that she's right. You, you're always going to miss your spouse who died. And I think hopefully you found a new secure person that can hold you still missing that person and knowing it doesn't take away from them. That's such an important thing. I want to bring up in grief. The idea that Number one, grief is a no-judgment zone. And number two, it's also a place to not compare. Partly because if you compare and you win, you lose. I mean, who wants to be the winner of that comparison? And when we're comparing, we're judging and not feeling. And I always say, whose loss is the worst? Yours. Your loss is always Mm -hmm. the worst one. Absolutely. And to realize, like I say, I have the grief of my son dying. If someone's crying over their wedding being canceled, I'm not someone that would go, that's not real grief. I've got the real grief. There's room enough in the world for all these griefs. Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, her her grief of not having a wedding that she's dreamed about since she was five Uh, is her worst grief. And it doesn't take away from my son. They get to both exist in the world. Yeah,
0: my stepdaughter was actually supposed to get married in like three weeks. (laughs) Oh. I know, she put it off till next September, so let's hope that that works out. But yeah, it's, it's a hard time, I feel bad. It's a
1: hard time. One grief doesn't take away from the other. No, it's very sad.
0: So, David, let me ask you, you know, I get a lot of sex therapy questions from men who have grieved a partner, who have had a loss, they move on, they start dating again, they fall in love and then they have erectile dysfunction or they have some kind of sexual dysfunction. It's like their bodies have not moved on. And yeah, you know, I wonder if you could say something about that, like how sexual function really, is it almost a separate grief process? We have to
1: attend to our grief or it comes to us. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And it's so important we give it the time and the space And it plays out in a million different ways. And I think that it's just one more way that you have to look at this grief is here and I need to attend to it. The good news is grief doesn't need a lot of time, but it needs dedicated time. Mm. And I always say, whatever it is that's going on in your body, It's asking for attention. Mm -hmm. We both know, obviously, Paul Denniston, who does grief yoga. Which is great. Grief yoga is awesome. And it's amazing to watch him talk about where is the grief in your body. Yeah. And to feel where it is. My grief goes to my back. His grief goes to his neck. Clearly, if someone's having erectile dysfunction, that's where their grief is possibly going. And that's for them to figure out if that's true. And the answer is to always attend to the grief. Yeah, that's a great,
0: that's great advice. And our dysfunction, particularly our sexual dysfunction, tells a story, like there's a narrative there that we need to listen to. You know, there's meaning behind it. So instead of trying to just medicate it away or treat it like it's something pathological, to be able to listen to the voice of it. Like if it was going to tell you something, what would it be saying?
1: Right. And it's very subtle because I also, you know, hear from women who are like, it's coming up during sex, my my husband who died. And I mean, I, he's not supposed to be there. And, you know, it's so many ways. It's like the answer is we have to give it some space and give it some time and we have to attend to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So any last bits of advice for people that might be going through grief and working on their sex life and anything that you might want to share with us and our listeners? To really
1: get support around this. Like I said, grief needs dedicated time and space. I went to a grief group. I I went to a, a counselor. Even though you think sometimes we're the ones that judge ourselves, that we're beyond it, it was years ago, or newly married, to know if it's knocking on your door and wanting attention, your job is to give the grief attention. I have lots of online resources, many of them free, people can find them at grief.com. Our whole world has sort of moved online. So there's lots of help that can be comfortable for people to do it that way.
0: So how can people find more about you, David Kessler, and your book about finding meaning? So finding
1: meaning is wherever books are sold and grief.com is all my resources. There's free online groups that you've been a guest at. There's uh, paid support if you want it. If someone's had a death by suicide or a child, there's free classes there they can get. So there's a lot of resources at grief.com to help people because it's, you know, if our air conditioner breaks, we call it the heating and air person. Our TV, we call the TV person. Somehow we think, well, we'll handle the grief ourselves and we need support. Yeah, I totally hear you.
0: David, thank you so much for being here today. I can't tell you how important you are in my life and how important this is for our listeners at The Trouble of Sex. Thank you, Tammy. I love being with you. This episode was brought to you by UberLube. <laughs> To find out more, go to thetroublewithsex.com or email me at drtammy at thetroublewithsex.com. Join our mailing list, follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, or send me a question. The Trouble with Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is by Flavor Lab New York City. This episode was recorded on location by Bruce Hirschfield and mixed by Eric Stern with music by Bruce Hirschfield.